Thank you, Paul. Uh, since starting this series, I have uh, wanted to home in on one particular proverb, and many of you can either guess what it is or know what it is, because I kind of shared what it was going to be this morning. Uh, but up to now, during this series, we've been thinking of big themes from the book of Proverbs about wisdom and about living wisely. So we've been thinking about things like embrace discipline or take initiative or do good or speak truth. But tonight, I want to focus on one specific gem of biblical wisdom that, that has shaped and continues to shape a lot of what I say and do. Uh, it's, it's a verse that I've spoken on more than any other biblical text. And I've spoken on it in, in quite a few different contexts. And I did share some of this back in 2009 at a morning service at Windsor. So if you've heard me talk about this before, I'm sorry. But I honestly believe that this proverb is so important that it bears regular repetition. And that is because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The, the condition or state of our hearts has a profound impact on every aspect of our lives, including our core relationship with God. And so how we treat and look after in here is incredibly important. Now, before we, we go any further, let me ask you a question, get a little bit of congregational participation. Whenever we talk about the heart from a Christian faith perspective, a spiritual perspective, or in a biblical context, what are we actually referring to? As opposed to this kind of physical blood-pumping organ that's found in our chest. But, but whenever we talk about the heart... What do we mean? Go for it. Our emotions, thank you. The essential person, yeah. Sorry, motives, thanks, Stephen. Our will, brilliant. Yeah, what actually makes us tick. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, the word, the word heart in, in the Bible relates to, let me read out some of the things I've said and you'll, you'll, you'll have, you, you've heard them all. Our emotions, our wills, our intentions, our thinking ability to our conscience, to the essential us. Someone has actually put it like this. All the ways in which the Bible refers to the inner person, the inner life, our interior landscape, mind, emotions, spirit, will are summed up in this one term, heart. So, it's out of the heart that we speak. It's out of the heart that we make choices. It's out of the heart that we make a conscious, willful decision to love God, to love others. It's out of the heart that we behave, that we relate, that we worship, that we lead. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. If you have a Bible, could, could I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 4? It's page 638 on, on, in your pew Bibles. And I want to share what has been my life verse now for 15 years. And it's verse 23. And here's what it says. Above 
all else. Now, let me just pause there for a moment. Above all else. So, so what's about to come next is one of the most important things you will ever hear. And this is wisdom speaking. Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do, or it is the wellspring of life, or it is the source of all life, or everything you do flows from it, depending on what translation you're looking at on your knee. Back in 2001, when I was on my first sabbatical, it was these 12 words. It was this proverb that grabbed my attention as never before and caused me to rethink or certainly reevaluate my priorities. Because during my time off and whilst I was in Canada, somebody who had never met before looked at me across a table in a coffee shop and said, So, David, what are you doing to guard your heart? What are you doing to guard your heart? And as I sat there, I realized, I don't know how to answer you. At least, I didn't feel I had an answer that stacked up and so began a journey that continues to this day and probably will for the rest of my life. Because if the condition of in here really does affect everything I do as a husband, as a dad to three girls, as a son, as a brother, as a friend, as a colleague, as a TV watcher, as a book reader, if the condition of in here affects everything I do, then I desperately need to know what it means to guard my heart. Do you ever look at some of the things you do, some of the things you say, some of the things others do and others say, all those kind of negative things that, that Paul has led us in a prayer of confession regarding? You know those, those hurtful comments that you make or others make, the angry words, the lustful thoughts, the lies, the gossip, the adulterous affair? And you think to yourself, where did that come from? Well, Jesus explicitly states where it comes from. All stems from in here. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, and murder, and adultery, and sexual immorality, and theft, and false testimony, and slander. And therefore, here's the point. You see, if I don't guard this, the consequences are extreme. Now, before we kind of get into how we might guard our hearts, let me attempt to explain why this is so difficult, because it is. You see, part of the conversion process that you go through as a Christian is you have a change of heart. That's what we talk about. In Ezekiel, you hear this idea of a heart of stone being replaced by a heart of flesh that is no longer blasé about sin. And the Bible goes on to confirm that the heart becomes the dwelling place of God. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, God has put his spirit where? In our hearts. 
And Paul's prayer for the Ephesian Christians is that Christ would dwell where? Does Christ dwell? Christ would dwell in your heart. But if we get real for a moment, because despite the truth of that, we're all too aware, or at least I am, of the tension that still exists, because my heart does harden from time to time. Our hearts do grow cold. Sin still does attract. It still does entertain us. It still does at times reel us in. And so the question is, what is going on? Well, Jeremiah reminds us, and here's the dilemma. The heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, who can understand it? Or as Blas Pascal said, the heart has its reasons that reason does not know. You see, the bottom line is that your heart and mine is a battleground. God longs for control of it, and we've been thinking of God's sovereignty in our lives and in our world. God longs for control of our heart, but so does the enemy. God longs for surrendered hearts, but as we were thinking about this morning, the enemy will do all that he can to compromise your commitment, to keep all this negative behavior spilling out of your heart. That's what the, that's what the enemy wants to do, to deceive you. And so we wage war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's explicit biblical teaching. And the war zone, the battlefield, the theater of conflict is your heart and mine. And so God has given each of us as Christians new hearts, but they're under constant attack. And they will be this side of the next life. And so whatever you do, Above all else says wisdom. Guard your heart because it affects everything. And so the question I ask you and the question I ask myself is, and I keep asking myself, what are you doing to guard your heart? What are you actively, consistently, regularly doing to guard your heart? Someone has described the heart as the citadel of man. A citadel was a kind of fortress for protecting a town. In this picture, the citadel is that large star-shaped structure on the left, and it needed to be strong because when an enemy attacked the town, their ultimate goal was to gain control of the citadel because once they had achieved that, they knew that the whole town was theirs. And the parallels are obvious. These inner citadels of ours need to be strong. They need to be well fortified. They need to be guarded. They need to be watched over. They need to be protected. Because in his attempt to wreck our lives, the enemy goes straight for your heart. Straight to the very core of your being. Charles Bridges wrote this. If the citadel be taken, the whole town must surrender. If the heart be seized, the whole man, the affections, his desires, his motives, his pursuits, all will be yielded up. The heart, the citadel of man, the seat of his dearest treasure. It is fearful to think of its many watchful and subtle assailants. Let it be closely garrisoned. And so this, guarding this, is critically important. Otherwise, ground will be taken. 
and our faith will inevitably suffer. So how do we do it? How do we guard our hearts? Can I just throw that out there for a moment and ask you to tell me some of the ways you think we guard our hearts? I mean, if this, above all else, if this is one of the most important things there is, what are we doing to guard our hearts? How would you answer that? Stay close to the word of God. Thanks, John. Regular prayer. Sorry. Feeding yourselves with scripture. Anything else? Accountability to others. Do you know, in a, in a very real sense, there are a number of answers to that question. A number of different directions you could kind of head off in and go in. But what I want to do is, and, and all of what was said is absolutely right, because for me, and, and if you want to talk to me afterwards about it, for me, a key part of my journey back in 2001 and continues to this day is regarding the whole practice of holy habits. That is how I believe we guard our hearts. It's a key way. It's not the only way, but it's a key way we guard our hearts through the practice of holy habits. But what I want to do is I want to go back to Proverbs 4 because in the next four verses that we just, after the one we just read, the wisdom writer suggests three other body parts that deeply affect this central one. And the three body parts he mentions are our mouths, our eyes, and our feet. So let's stand together just for a change of position, uh, and let's read some verses. I'm breaking in on this, I realize. You'll notice that the the heading of chapter 4, the heading in the NIV is, Wisdom is Supreme. And so if you look at verse 20, it says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. And then you come down to verse 23 and hear her, the wisdom's words above all else. Guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life or it affects everything you do. And then wisdom says, put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Grab a seat. And so what I want to do, and I'm I'm going to speak for a little bit longer than I usually do. I hope that's okay. But I I want to just take each of these in turn and, and think about how do each of these body parts influence this core body part? Well, let's look at the mouth first of all. The wisdom writer says, put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. You see, what we say, and again, I really appreciated Paul leading us in that prayer of confession. What we say really does matter. The words that we use and the way we speak reflects our heart condition. Jesus put it like this, for out of the overflow of, of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if you want to discover the condition of someone's heart, 
Listen to the way they speak. Just listen to the way they talk. Words reflect, according to Jesus, our heart condition. They don't just reflect our heart condition. Words affect our heart condition. Probably the best known section of the Bible that deals with our verbal communication, and we've looked at this before, is James chapter 3, where James stresses the need to tame your tongue. But he also recognizes how difficult it is. He says that as human beings, we've been able to tame all kinds of wild and dangerous animals, but when it comes to our own tongues, well, that's a completely different animal. And we all know the damage that words can cause. Not only in individual lives, but amongst friends and families and communities and churches. But it's the heart that suffers when we gossip. It's the heart that suffers when we lie. It's the heart that suffers when we manipulate, when we criticize, when we exaggerate, when we brag, when we complain, when we gurn. It's the heart that suffers. James puts it like this, the tongue corrupts the whole person and sets the whole course of his life on fire. You see, inappropriate words and talk corrode our hearts. They impact the very core of our being. Yes, other people in other situations suffer, but it's your heart and mind that is ultimately damaged. And you know what? The guard drops. And James also notes this dangerous inconsistency that sometimes exists between how as Christians we worship God and then how we speak about each other. And so he says, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and then with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. And he says, it cannot be like this. It shouldn't be like this. And therefore, part of the challenge of Christian discipleship is monitoring our speech and giving it over to God on a daily basis. And so as Paul led us in in that prayer of confession and, and said about the words that we have said this week that we wish we could take back again. It's so important that we come before God on a regular basis because this is what it means for me to guard our hearts. Come before God on a regular basis and say, God... Take control of what I say and how I speak and who I speak to and who I speak about, the attitude I have. Above all else, guard your heart. One of the key ways to do that is to pay careful attention to what you say and the way you speak. The second body part is the eye. And verse 25, wisdom says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your ears, gaze directly before you. The importance of focus in the Christian life is obvious, and yet it's all too easy to get distracted. And so many other things fill our field of vision. And biblically, we are instructed to fix our eyes in two places. Can anyone tell me the two places that biblically we are to fix our eyes? Sorry? Jesus, let us fix our eyes. But where else are we to fix our eyes? On the invisible. Brilliant. 
2 Corinthians 4, 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. You see, gaining an eternal perspective in life is absolutely critical, but in a world that is obsessed with the tangible and the material, this is so hard. But what exactly does that have to do with our hearts? Well, you see, whenever your eyes only focus on the temporal and the physical and the seen, then your heart begins to drift and it risks being taken captive by the treasures of this world. Jesus put it like this in his so-called Sermon on the Mount, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And then Jesus went on to talk about the eye being the lamp of the body because in Scripture there is this very close connection and link between the eyes and the heart. And so the challenge we face in guarding our hearts is to make sure we fix our eyes on what is unseen, not necessarily our physical eyes, but certainly our mind's eyes. So Paul writes to the Christians in Colossae, set your minds, your mind's eye on things above, not on earthly things. And I know I don't have time to do this justice, but we must get to grips with developing an eternal perspective to not only think about and focus so much energy on the physical, the tangible, the material, the temporal, but to recognize that there is a whole other dimension. Let's see the bigger picture. Because as we see the bigger picture, as we see the unseen, the invisible, so we guard our hearts. And that second place where we're instructed to fix our eyes, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And maintaining a focus on Jesus is a daily choice. And it's an essential discipline of the Christian faith. And so my question on this one is, where are your eyes fixed this evening? What are you focused on? For some of us, our lines of vision are almost totally occupied by our circumstances, by the situations that we find ourselves in and by what's going on around us. And at one level, that's only natural. We are human after all. But in those circumstances, in those situations, we need to stay focused on Jesus and saying that I cannot overstate the importance of that. Peter's experience in Matthew 14 is a prime example. Surrounded by wind, surrounded by waves that threatened to overwhelm, he was able to walk on water. That was until he lost his focus because the minute he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. The minute he got focused on his circumstances and his situation, he began to sink. And I know that for many here, the wind and the waves of life are all too real. And seeing Jesus is hard, maybe even impossible. And so retaining focus is essential. And then for others, where their eyes are focused is on kind of past current failures that always seem to be right in front of us. We can't see beyond them. We can't get beyond them. They're never out of our sight. And so they keep us crushed and they keep us distracted. And we keep beating ourselves up and say we're no good. And we just focus on all the things we've done wrong this week and got wrong this week and said wrong this week. And therefore, the need to see Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith is critical. Yes, we're all messed up people, and I'm a messed up person. And we all make mistakes, but because of this, 
You see, when Jesus looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus, the restorer of my soul, the forgiver of my sin, the healer of my pain, my advocate, my substitute, my redeemer, my savior, my hope, my friend. And for me, that is part of what it means to fix our eyes on Jesus, to constantly, consistently reflect on who Jesus is and on what he has done in your life and mine. When our eyes are fixed in the right place, our hearts are guarded. And the final body part, the Proverbs 4 mentions the foot. Verse 27, wisdom says, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. You see, getting sidetracked in the Christian life is a constant danger. There are detours round every corner that lead into sin. It's not that our feet necessarily sin, but they take us into those situations where we divide our hearts. They walk us into that unhelpful relationship. They walk us into that place of temptation, into that environment of compromise. And so the Bible is packed with safe and recommended places to walk, places that will keep you from swerving in either direction. Here are just a few. I've shared them before. Let me just allow God's word to speak for itself. Walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you. That is why, as we've already heard this evening, it's so important as part of guarding your heart that you immerse yourself in Scripture, that you know God's word, that you read God's word, that you feed on God's word. Walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded. Blessed are those who walk in the light of God's presence. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. And this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands as you've heard from the beginning. His command is that you walk in love. Those who claim to live in God must walk as Jesus walked. That's how to avoid swerving to the left and to the right. Walk as Jesus walked. And whenever we walk in these kind of places, our hearts will be well garrisoned. The battle for your heart and mine will continue to rage throughout the rest of our Christian lives. I wish it was different. Many of us have started this race, and as I said this morning, and I know it's a phrase we've used time and time again here at Windsor, it's not only how we start that matters, but it's also how you finish that counts. And if we are to finish well and stay the course, then I suggest we absolutely must know what it means to guard our hearts. And if the state of in here really does, as the wisdom writer says, if the state of in here really does affect everything I do, then I've got to go away and I've got to ask myself, so David, what are you doing to guard your heart? And so I want to lead us in a prayer and then I want to give you three ways to respond tonight. Well, two ways for ladies to respond, three ways for men to respond. Here's the prayer. God be in my head and in my understanding. God, be in my eyes and in my looking. God, be in my mouth and in my speaking. God, be in my heart and in my thinking. God, be in my feet and in my walking.
three ways to respond. The first is, as always, we have a prayer room available for after the service. That if you just want to go from here and find a quiet space to just reflect on some of what we've been thinking about tonight, then you can just go in there and find a quiet space by yourself. Or go in with somebody else that you've come with and just talk or pray together. Or if you want to go in there and you'd love somebody to pray with you and for you about this subject or about anything, then just go in there. There are people who would love to do that. But that's one way you can respond tonight. The second way you can respond is this, is by actually sitting down and thinking, what am I currently and actively doing to guard my heart on a daily basis? Take that question away, reflect on it, contemplate it, consider it. And then the third way to respond, and this is just for the guys, sorry. But on Saturday the 25th of February, in the Spires Conference Center is a day conference called Guarding Your Heart by Vaughn, and Vaughn Roberts is gonna be the main speaker. And there are three sessions in that day looking at what it means to guard your heart. And so what I would love to do is take a bunch of guys from this church to that conference. And so if you're a bloke here tonight and you want uh, one of these little leaflets that kind of give you more information about that day, take one of these. If you would like to go, if you give your name to myself or to David Fleming, we're going to get uh, tickets together and we're also then going to head out and have something to eat after the day. But if you kind of want to put a date in your diary, whereas a bunch of guys, we just go and consider this subject further, then please speak to us afterwards. I'm going to invite the uh, guys to come forward now. We're going to finish with a song. I will offer up my life in spirit and in truth. It, it is a song of commitment, a song that asks Jesus, what can I give, what can I bring? Uh, so let's stand together and uh, sing this as we close.